0: Welcome to episode 59 of The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons.
1: And I'm Ben White. On this episode, our guests are Alan Nakagawa and David Bell. Alan Nakagawa would describe himself as a sound artist, but he is definitely a multidisciplinary artist who lives and works in Los Angeles. I see galleries and museums as the
2: church. And I see the public as, like, you know, the people who don't go to church. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of what, how I look at it, you know? And so when I, when I, the reason I need to go to museums and I need to go to galleries and I need to talk to artists is because I, I need that sustenance.
0: David Bell is a spaceship operator and a coming back around to the idea of being published again writer after taking a while off. He founded and currently operates the Spaceship Gallery Visitor Welcome Center in Koreatown here in Los Angeles. I mean, I think there's so many, all these spaces talking about how they're like the community
3: spaces, you just have to like be really honest and leave with, you know, um, leave with your heart. When you're inviting someone into your like personal space, what does that mean? You know, like when you invite someone into your home, like there's a there's a certain amount of trust you would imagine is, is there. And so I think That's always been important
1: to me. When you're listening to this episode, you might notice that it sounds like we're recording on a busy street corner in Koreatown, uh, because you're going to hear a lot of car noises and ambient room noise. Uh, And that's because we recorded on-site at Visitor Welcome Center, the gallery that David Bell runs.
0: And it happens to be right down the hallway from Commonwealth and Council... To talk about on the show, and it's run, that gallery is run by Young Chung, who we also chat about on the show.
1: Right, and Young Chung was uh, Young Chung and uh, artist Gala
0: Porus Kim were our guests in The People way, way back
1: on episode 11 of The People.
0: And later in the show, we'll hear a new track from Joel Kayak, a.k.a. Holly Body. The People
1: features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond. It's like a broken record that's magically repaired and
0: beyond you can listen to the people on kchung 1630 a.m every third sunday at 3 p.m or you can listen to the people anytime you'd like on pretty much any place that you can use the internet
1: yeah anywhere you get your podcasts get overcast your... itunes
0: wherever everywhere soundcloud you can even go to insertblankpress.net and click on the people at the top of the page and
1: when you're there you can find uh, all
0: all the old episodes of the people for free Absolutely. And of course, you can go to iTunes, search for The People Radio. It's all there. Alan Nakagawa and David Bell, welcome to The People. Yeah,
1: thanks for coming on, guys.
0: Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, cool.
1: So we're here at Visitor Welcome Center in Koreatown in Los Angeles, gallery that you run, David. And Alan, uh, you have a show up. You want to tell us about it? Um, The
2: show, uh, there's actually uh, two things happening. There's my show, which is two rooms. and the third room, there's a group show. And uh, the two rooms that uh, that David let me play with is uh, there's one there's an installation of my newest piece. This room that we're in is a conglomeration of products, I guess, of uh, about eight uh, artist residencies that I've participated in in the past uh, three or four years.
1: And so the, the bed piece that we're kind of looking at out of the corner of our eye, uh, I read in the description that it includes inverted Cornell boxes?
2: Well, yeah, it was. it's inspired by Cornell's boxes. Um, when David uh, invited me, uh, I happened to, um, I was uh, going to a meeting in Chicago. And I know that they have the, the Chicago Art Institute has the largest collection of Cornell boxes. I think most people who are into Cornell know that. And um, so I, I put a couple of extra days on my trip, and it, it took me two and a half days, but I drew every single Cornell box that they have on display. So they have a special room that's dimly lit with rows, you know, shelves and shelves of these boxes under glass. And so I was in that room for t- two and a half days drawing these things. And um, yeah, it was an amazing, I'm, I mean, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people like Cornell. I, the reason I, I, I decided to focus on Cornell is um, actually, uh, I was reading this interview on Betty Saar, and she was talking about her first experience as a, a young artist uh, looking at the Cornells at, La- at LACMA and saying, you know, oh, that's what I want to do. So if you think about that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, if you look at her work, for instance, I'm a big fan of Betty Saar's work. So. I thought, oh, I, I should probably look at those a little bit more because I've been I like I've liked them, but I've never really intently looked at them, you know. And when you're in in this dark room for days and looking at these boxes and you're drawing the you know, as you as as we all know, when you draw, it's a different kind of focus. Um, it's a, a like a almost mi- microscope kind of thing that happens. So. Um, and that happened. And the the last day I was in there, I uh, got a little dehydrated, and I started hallucinating. So um, there was nobody. So I heard in my ear, my right ear. I tell this story to everybody who comes and see, sees the thing. I heard in my ear, um, it said, Bird houses are dream catchers," you know. And I go, and I looked around. It's like, what the? There's nobody. <laughs> In the gallery, and it was just a distinct male voice, you know, right in my right ear, and I'm going, dude, what was that? And I just kept drawing, and then I I figured out later, I I didn't take a break that day because I was running out of time, so I didn't drink, I didn't go to the bathroom, and so I was hydrated and dehydrated at the same time, huh. and just panicking
1: basically. Yeah. So Cornell ghost is what we're. I don't um, know. That's what maybe. we're talking about
2: here. Yeah. yeah, or you know my bicameral mind sure yeah Yeah, you had passed out
3: and the guard was like
2: (laughs) pouring water down
3: your throat and like (laughs) Cornell
2: dream catchers yeah I don't know so um, that definitely inspired the piece but this room that the piece is in I mean the piece is built for this room right that that's a very special room there's something about this room that's amazing Vote both architecturally and in terms of finish, but also where it's located in the building. It's on the corner. It's above Obie <laughs> Obi Bear, right, a popular restaurant a very in this popular neighborhood. Bar restaurant and, um, and the piece. So I built the piece. Uh, also, David, I know, I know David used to kind of stay here, so he would tell me periodically what it what that was like. And uh, I, we, we haven't had a shower here for one of the exhibitions. I mean, so there's a very, inti- there's an intimacy to this space. But for some reason, for me at least, that room, there's something about that room, right? So the piece was, is for that room. Um, and it's uh, two, two people can use it at once. And you, the idea is you, hopefully, you can lie down in there and in the boxes is my portrait of Cornell, which is a perfume that I created at the Institute of Art and Olfaction. It's called Cornell, and um, the boxes are, you know, inspired by his boxes. And you're supposed to fall asleep and dream, and then the paper wall is for you to draw, write down what your dream was. That's the general idea. Whether that actually happens or will happen, you know, I don't know, but that's the intent.
0: You know that that room has been at over the time here at visitor welcome center like different kind of installations as well like um I think for uh there was like a room inside of that room that you could walk into kind of like a little maze at some point there's it's tell us like the other kind of installations that it that that room has been over time. Yeah, I I think it it naturally kind of became a project space, almost like
3: we're kind of sitting in the main gallery and that became a project space. But at the same time, I think I was getting a little weird about that because I was pairing up different artists and I didn't want it to be like, you're in the main space, you're in like the sidecar. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, but that room, I mean, again, each room because of its, its wild windows and stuff has like such like a unique, um, has a way to create a unique experience, even just in itself when it's empty. Um, so yeah I think the room inside of a room one that you're referring to was like it was this labyrinth that this artist Patricio Morales built and then it was also a, a place during the opening where he sat inside the walls with his two brothers and then they were sort of like trying to like bond and connect with one another um,
0: throughout the opening while like people were like walking in and out of it and stuff. And you had another project that was like a, a movie but it was Different kind of colored um, gels in the window. If I remember, Margaret Honda. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Totally. So she had a. It's a project. It's a basically like these gels that can go in any set of windows in any building anywhere, and it just all depends on like the way that the the gels are stacked. Um, and the uh, light, of course, in that particular window yeah, and room, right? Yeah, yeah. And so then the.
1: So as the exhibition went on, the gels like would move between the windows. Can we, maybe we could back up a little bit and since we're talking about this space uh, and you could tell us how you ended up here and when and all that? Yeah. So I was running a space
3: in downtown for about three years, Um, didn't, essentially it did not have a name, but although some people called it Dave Gallery, but then I was just, because that's my dad's name and then I was always just like, oh, it's not Dave Gallery. But then like and then people at the openings would be like, Are you Dave? And I'd be like, No, that's my dad. (laughs) You know, and it's just like it was always this thing where I'm like, it's not Dave Gallery, it's not Dave Gallery. But then it was, and you couldn't get away from it, and it's just like it's Dave Gallery. I'd be editing people's, or excuse me, I'd be looking at people's bios that had like done shows over the years, and these were like kind of like, you know, weekend event, kind of like wild things, working with a lot of the same artists that I work with here now. But then it'll just be like David Bell's gallery space, you know, 2012, and I'm just like, ah. I think I have to tell everyone that I've worked with that it was Dave Gallery. So it like lines up you know, on people's CVs and things like sure. that. Um, and so I guess just with one of the waves of gentrification, or the, whenever that began, you know, we ended up getting kicked out of that building. And then I had been working with Young at Commonwealth and Council down the hall and then kind of coincidentally at the same time this space opened up. And then we, had, we like know the guys that were here, it was an AA for like 35 years. Oh
1: yeah, that's right.
3: Yeah, and they were just downsizing and going down the hallway, which either that could be a good or bad thing, either less membership or, or less I don't people know. <laughs> drinking too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so they were just downsizing. The space opened up, and the the building kind of wanted to like keep it amongst the people who already know it and everything like that, so they can continue to not clean the restrooms and right, stuff. Right, of course, you won't <laughs> complain. <laughs> so, um,
2: wait, the AA was
1: above the bar. Yeah, right. totally. No. <laughs> totally. Okay.
0: Yeah. Didn't think about that. Yeah. Keep your <laughs> oh. keep your
1: enemies close. Maybe tell us about how uh, how you and Alan like put the show together. What about his work? Uh, you know, you, you was appealing to you. Yeah. So I think
3: also staying inside the building. I met Alan, I believe, when I had a show at Commonwealth and Council. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so then I was doing the show with artist Iris Hu, and then she had invited Alan to come talk to us. And we had made the show that we thought was all about collaboration and like, but I think I remember Alan saying something like, it looks like you're, you're really resisting the collaboration like in, in all, in all aspects of the show. And it like actually is like what had happened. We like had to say every time we thought like we're gonna do this together, it was, it'd be like working on separate things, working on separate things. And like just like, but thinking of it as a collaboration. So yeah, I think I had met him for the first time. But also it was just like, wow, this person is like really nice. and I think it's like one of the things that I mean over the years has stood out to me is just someone who's like not jaded at all and I think I I feel there's so much of that around right now that it's like wow like what are you doing then like why are you doing this if it's if you don't like it right or if or if there's this like something else you need besides just what you're doing you know what I mean Um, I don't know that's something that's always stood out that's
1: been really special I think yeah, oh, and that's great. that collaborative yeah. process has been, Alan, I mean, that's your, I'm trying to think of all the stuff you've done, it is it's many like things. Like my bread and butter. Kind yeah. of bread and butter, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think the same for me over the years. Yeah, I think when I was true, doing, yeah. making
3: art more myself, um, it, it kind of was constantly this collaboration, collaboration. If I was getting a show, I would want to like bring someone else in, platform them with me, and then eventually it just sort of bled into the space taking over full time and like not really needing the making
1: side as much, or at least in terms of showing. Right, yeah. Well, maybe so it's a dumb, obvious question, or maybe not, but what, what is it about the collaborative process that you prefer over uh, non-collaborative?
2: Well, um, you know, first of all, uh, not, not all artists can collaborate. And then, so if I'm an artist who often collaborates, I, I'll also go a step further and say, I can't collaborate with everybody, or just anybody. You know, so there's something about David that, uh, it just, uh, we're we're coming from kind of two very different places, but there's something that is um, symbiotic about, like there's a lot we don't talk about, but it feels like we kind of understand each other. I I don't know what that is, and and he's not the only person that I have that relationship with, but in the context of, um, you know, I mean, we can we can say solidly that he's the gallery director and I'm the artist, but, but in this particular show, that is not so black and white. Right. For instance, the, sh- the room that we're in right now, this would not look like this if it wasn't for David. I mean, the, the conversations that we've had leading up to the show were uh, pretty solid. And uh, David asked me, I mean, no, I'm sorry, David said early on, he says, it it helps me if you tell me what you're thinking all the time. Like I I I would love to get texts from you and and that prompted me to start writing. So there are actually four documents that I don't know if you've shown it to anybody.
3: I've I, I talk about them a lot. Oh, do you do? Okay. Yeah. Because I basically at, when I ask on that question, I I'll ask everyone that that I'm working with here, and sometimes you don't get a lot. And most mostly it's, a lot of the times it's for like PR purposes and like. So I was just like, send me stuff and I'll start writing the PR. So I believe the first one you sent was about your first art teacher who the installation is on. And I was reading, I was like, oh, this is great. Like, and especially even just my mind of this, like, of, of Alan and who he was and then just, like, to do a show, like, later in your life about your first art teacher. I was like, this is amazing. So I'm, like, writing this thing on the airplane, actually. And then I think by the time I landed, there was another document in my email that had, like, four more pages, you know. Then you went into stories about, like, getting, like, surrounded on the playground by a bunch of girls. There's something you had said, and then I'm like, okay, maybe I can figure out a way to add this into the PR. And I start like messing with that. And maybe two days later, there's like another document that comes that's like six more pages or something, you know, and I'm like, right, I think this is a thing in itself. You know, <laughs> like this thing. Like... And I was like, just draw a picture for the PR, Alan. Like... <laughs> well,
1: what, what, is that st- what is the story with your first art
2: instructor? Shizue Yamashiro, um, she was a, a painter from Tokyo, Uh, she was part of a a group of artists called Nikikai, and um, through sort of, uh, I don't think it was matchmaking, I think uh, a relative actually introduced them, but Mas Yamashiro, who's a a, a very well-known writer, he has a very important book about the Japanese internment camps he was, uh, his family felt that he should get married, and then somebody in Tokyo met Shizue and said, oh, you would be perfect for Moss, and so that's how they got married, and uh, she's, uh, Mrs. Yamashiro ended up coming all the way to Los Angeles, and they got married, and it was an amazing relationship for, for a kid like me, you know, growing up in what was to become K-Town, you know, in a blue-collar family. I, I gravitated toward the arts, but nobody in my family's an artist, and so it was always kind of very you know sort of like put down of, you know, in a way right
0: the, the arts weren't valued in they're different. not value' yeah, yeah, yeah. valued yet. Yeah. And, and
2: I'm the first born on the in the family, so if once they heard I wanted to become an artist, you know that was like the worst thing i could have said <laughs> yeah. uh, but and yet they were they they in the end they were very supportive right because they let me go to. Uh, Mrs. Yamashita's class every Saturday for nine years or something like that. Wow. So uh, she had this school for kids. You know, it's uh, in her apartment. Uh, it was a huge living room that half of it was her painting studio. She did oils. And then the other half was the school for kids. And oh. I, I would just show up with, uh, you know, my mom would dr- drop me off. And we would do still lives. <laughs> it was very old school. Yeah. And. Um, and, but at some point, you know, I was the only one my age. Everybody... How some, young were you when you started that? I was nine. Oh, wow. And then I left when I was 16, I think, 16 or 17, in high school. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so, so the writing, it just helped me kind of remember a lot of things. Because, um, you know, Matthew, as you know, I, I, I recently, in the past couple of years, ended my tenure as a public art administrator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I used to be a public art administrator for Metro, yeah. and, um, and I had been practicing art, but now I, I can say, you know, with, uh, with fear that I'm a full-time <laughs> artist, <laughs> and uh, this, what's in this room is this sort of trajectory that I've been on since I left, and kind of like a little bit before I actually officially left. So it's um, it's my segue into this life that I, you know, uh, am living right now.
1: You've been listening to the People in Kaichung, 16:30 a.m. I'm Ben White.
0: And I'm Matthew Timmons. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. But really, you can find us pretty much anywhere you find podcasts. Yeah, anywhere you get your
1: podcasts. Stitcher, SoundCloud, Overcast. Uh, You can go to insertblancpress.net and click on the people at the top of the
0: page and And get uh, all the past episodes. episodes And also, all of those places where you can find our podcast, you can also rate and review it. Yeah, that'd be really great. It helps out the podcast a lot. And now back to our conversation with Alan Nakagawa and David Bell. So, Alan, I know you've worked a lot in kind of public spaces. Can you talk to me a little bit about uh, the difference in that, and that kind of working uh, in these different kind of spaces?
2: Um, I think the it's audience, right? I think I see galleries and museums uh, as the church. And I see the public as like, you know, (laughs) the people who don't go to church. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of what how I look at it, you know, and so when I when I the reason I need to go to museums, and I need to go to galleries, and I need to talk to artists, is because I I need that sustenance. Yeah, you know, because I was trained in this religion. (laughs) <laughs> so I need to talk to the, the disciples all the time yeah. just to keep my blood flowing. And, you know, I, I, I don't mean to make it sound so provincial in that sense.
0: But uh, but it's a good analogy. Yeah. I, get I, mean, it. I,
2: yeah. I, I mean, I before, I my intentions were not to have a show here. I just showed up because, you know, it was always fun to hang out with these guys. And, you know, Young's so colorful and awesome and... David, you know, I mean, Iris, everyone's great. You know, we just hang out, and so uh, this opportunity is like uh, bizarre to me, <laughs> because I know that a lot of people want to show at these two places. You know, I know that, yeah. right? Especially now, because there's so many artists in Los Angeles. Now, I was just showing up, just you know, because I, my friends were here. So, but, um, so. One of the things that I I think, early, not early on, but you know, in the midst of talking to David, we wanted to go back to the name of the place, Visitor's Welcome Center, you know? So what makes that place, this place, different from in, you know, your stereotypical, and I, I hate to kind of pigeonhole things, but uh, gallery, right? Yeah. And that, there, so there is, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that David is an artist. He's still an artist. You know, for instance, uh, he's been making these beautiful uh, hand-carved wood pieces out of hardwood. And I don't, we can call them tools maybe, but they're also sculptures. And he could show them to you later. And uh, so we were, you know, at a party at his place and I was looking at these things. And clearly that is why we have Woodling Wednesdays. You know, (laughs) That's, that's like a, a relation thing that happened like oh that would be so fun to hang out with strangers and just whittle huh? everybody brings their knife so there's a kind of trust level that you would have to have to invite strangers in, to bring their knives yeah. you know? and uh, I, I have a butterfly sanctuary in my backyard so I have all these trees and lately I've been cutting them down so that they can flourish you know yeah later and so I brought all this wood is from these trees that I've been cutting in my backyard and some of them are very difficult to carve, and some are, are very easy. But the people who are into whittling are of a certain kind of person or a certain kind of artist. And uh, it's been fun to just sit out and talk, and you know, I encourage more people to come on Wednesdays if they can.
1: And David, you want to speak to that as like the gallery, as a you know, as a, to extend the analogy, like as a church or as a, like a focal point to a community. Hmm and like how you think this, your gallery functions that way. Yeah, I mean I guess I always look at it as just like a holding space and, like, um,
3: and a sharing space. So I don't, I mean I think there's so many, reading this article recently that was all these spaces talking about how they're like community spaces and then when reading their, um, what they meant by that, it never really made any sense to me because I feel like everyone's kind of trying to do that build community, build community, but really, it's like, you just have to, like, be really honest and leave with, you know, um, leave with your heart and just sort of, like, when you're inviting someone into your, sp- like, personal space, and, like, what does that mean, you know? Like, when you invite someone into your home, like, there's a, there's a certain amount of trust that's, that, like, you would imagine is, is there. And so I think that's always been important to me. And when you first started this space, you were you were living here, right? Yeah. And yeah. I and I started it, too, thinking I would still be kind of, like, making art, doing shows every, like, four months. And then I think just being next to Come With and Council down the hall it just kind of naturally was like, well, I should just line up these openings and, like, let it ride. And, yeah, and so I was just, like, I was living here. And then that's even stranger because you're just sort of, like, living, you're just living with your door open, Yeah. you know? And then it's so it's, like... And so like, surely you're trusting people, but you don't know everyone who's coming in. It's just like, who is this guy?
1: Yeah, You know, huh. <laughs> sitting here. How do, you, how do you then avoid the exclusivity or the feeling of exclusivity that uh, kind of comes with art spaces sometimes or develops anyway? I, I think
3: that is where trying to work with people who, who do things not, I mean, I, I, I love painting. You know, I work with painters, but a lot of the, the painters or object makers that I work with, have, like, a broader practice. Like, Alan, for instance, doing these workshops, doing guitar tuning or, or people who invite other artists into their work, like, the same way that I think that I used to do and Alan does, like, those are the type of people that are really important because then you're sort of, like, spreading things in a different way or inviting people in in a different way. Um,
1: right, literally. Yeah, 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 totally.
3: Yeah. So people, artists that also enjoy holding space, I think, is, like, and do it sincerely and honestly not just like because I think it's also something that gets capitalized on. You see it in museums or you see Helen Molesworth writing things about like care and you're just kind of like I know that so many employees there that are not mm-hmm. feeling that
0: care
1: you know so Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Roasted Helen Molesworth Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She doesn't listen it's cool
2: Can I ask a question? Yes, yes please so David and I've been sort of Uh, pointing at this a couple of times during the interview but so how do you see the art gallery director and the artist how how do you see those roles exist through visual a visitor welcome center like how do you
3: it's definitely the funnest for me when we can work together yeah and like i'm not um a tyrant in any way with like the way things need to be hung.
2: Yes you are. Well maybe with <laughs> the yeah.
3: <laughs> I think there were moments where I was like no more stuff, no more stuff. Right, right. Um,
2: but that was, that wasn't cuz you were a tyrant cuz you were you were guiding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well there's a difference.
0: Yeah. I mean I, yeah. I often think of the I mean and I'm maybe totally off base here but the the role of a, a gallerist in this kind of a space is hopefully like, one of the best editors you can have if you're a writer. Totally. It's like working with the artist to figure out the type, you know, maybe it's too much stuff. Yeah. Or well, maybe the work would look better if there were a few less objects, kind of thing, you know. Yeah, and it's also funny because there's so many, like, rules in place
3: that are not rules, you know, yeah. like, it's just like, no, you can't do that, and it's just, even like, the simple thing of, like, hanging a painting like we did with Pearl Show, we hung a painting in the corner, which, to me, wasn't like, the craziest thing imaginable, but it it would come up over and over again like, wow.
0: You hung like, that painting in yeah, the corner. Yeah, and it's just
3: like and it wasn't in any way I was like feeling proud, like it was just more like, yeah. <laughs> it looks pretty good, right? <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> but it is funny how easily we get like attached to this like this rule book that is actually like doesn't
2: really exist. You yeah. know when you put that painting in the corner, that was a collaboration with pearl
3: yeah or just right? an option i mean it was you know a room with four paintings and so like there was four walls and four paintings but it was just about trying to like break the space up in a different way but like how can your work utilize this space i don't even though the walls are white now i don't they, they never have to be white and that's what i always tell every and some people are really have a really hard time with it or like you know paint the floor whatever color you want and they're just like oh we'll just leave it I'm just like, well, this isn't, there's no natural color to this floor. I mean, this building is from the 20s and it's been painted over time and time and time and time again. Yeah. And so you might as well just like, what makes your work function better, you know? Because yeah. the gallery doesn't necessarily make it work function better. It's like you and the decisions we make together, like can anything can make it. And the so. white
0: cube is just a default position. It's so default, it, yeah. And, and in a space like this, which isn't, you know, I mean, which is, has more history, like you said, it's from the 20s and there's a lot, you know, if you peeled up this paint, you're going to find like 90 different layers, 90 different colors. So it could be anything. Yeah, and I think it just allows,
3: I mean, the jaded part, I think it comes back to that, allows me to not be jaded because you easily, I mean, there's so many, you could do painting shows every week with a new painter and they could all probably be pretty great. Yeah. You know, but I think it it just like let the space be malleable. And then if we need to build a wall back, you know, there's no like, this is where it goes. It's like, this is where it needs to be. So,
0: yeah, and this wall that you kind of, was this wall already there, right? Yeah, and, and, so just kinda...
3: and that was one of yeah, the wall, that was one of the original walls. And the crazy story behind, I've been kind of wanting to get rid of that, but every time I, I would bring it up to an artist, it, would, it just would kind of become this too big of a deal or like, I don't, I don't want to do that. And so we had these two artists that did this performance that at the end of it, they broke through it. And so there's this massive hole. And then um, the crazy thing is when I was cleaning it up, I found a bullet in the ground. And then um, just like in all the rubble, there was like this bu- uh, plug. And yeah. then I even checked, I had this like military friend. I was just like, I just, is this a bullet? And he's like, yeah, that's, that's a plug. And I was just like, whoa. And then there's like a couple different bullet holes in these windows. And then like, and like never really thought much about them. I could, they could have happened from a long time ago. But then came to the conclusion that, um, or like did a little research that the roof had burnt down in this building during the uprising so not I haven't done any research on this bullet this is just a mythology but um but just wondering if this bullet like came from the riots you know and then just like thinking again of like the history and like the the things inside these walls and just like gentrification conversations and all these things that like like this can't just be a white cube here. You know, this can't be a space that's like only for this one thing. Cause this, like the space has so much, like it needs to be dealt with,
0: you know? Um, Not to say something that sounds, you know, ridiculous, but the white cube is like a radical erasure kind of, sure. is kind of what you're saying, right? If you, if that's all it is, then you're erasing like so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I mean, obviously a white cube can always just be a white cube, but that is a, it's a decision. Yeah, that typically we just don't even think about.
3: Yeah, well, there's also just in terms of installation, there's nothing really to be scared of. Yeah, and I think sometimes you're working with someone and, and they seem very worried to do something, and it's just like like what? There's something
0: like ingrained, you know? It's paint and drywall, yeah. not a big deal. Yeah. 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 Totally. yeah, and maybe some plaster. Yeah, you know, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and so then this wall's removal was something without, and and so basically with this space is, every artist has to deal with the space as it's left. And that like kind of, that can, again, some people get extremely confused with that. Like like the next artist, she like, i just like, remember the floor is yellow now. And so she has to be like, oh, okay. And it's fine if she wants the floor yellow, it's fine, but you know, most likely not. So then you have to kind of like take that into consideration, but you also don't know until Artist before you does their show, right? So even if I have some shows planned in the future, like I really don't, I can't tell them like this is how the space will be, um, which is another element that makes it really fun, at least for me.
1: Yeah, you know, it's to see how they yeah. work with it. Yeah, yeah, and for the listener, the floor is a beautiful sort of mustardy <laughs> gold color, goldenrod. Right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, like it I think the thing of it as the Tonka toy. Oh,
3: totally.
0: It's absolutely a Tonka truck. So we uh, hit upon like the idea of becoming jaded in the art world. And I wonder if you guys can talk about a little bit about like not becoming jaded, like how that, how that works. And I don't want it to be a bummer of a discussion because the, the point is, is like not being jaded is a, is a choice as well.
2: Many years ago, somebody was on the radio was talking about um, techniques of getting out of bad dreams. Mm. And so for instance, uh, it's common to have a battery and then you wake up all of a sudden, and she said something to the effect of, you just tilt your head. <laughs> like sleep in a different position. And when you go back to sleep, the synapses and all of the, you know, quadrants that are connected will be aligned differently, the blood will flow differently. So you, it'd be unlikely you'll have that same dream again, that nightmare. I'll remember that. Yeah. Whoa. So if it's that easy, if it if it is in fact that easy, then uh, having a good day and a bad day is completely up to you. Perspective. Yeah. yeah, Turn your head. But also physically, you know, like um, walking is very important. But I grew up in a Los Angeles that nobody walked. Right and uh, nobody rode their bike. And not that you know people are nicer today, but we have the uh, facility to change if we are in a bad mood. Uh, we have that facility. And um, just to sort of segue, <laughs> to give a plug to uh, one of the projects I worked on, uh, Los Angeles Department of Transportation, right? So I was the artist in resident for them for a little over a year. And one of the focuses was Vision Zero. Mm-hmm. Vision Zero is a program, uh, international program, to basically eliminate traffic fatalities. And we have, of which we have so hundreds, you know, in Los Angeles each year. Um, the 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 word accident is is misused. You know, a car accident. It's not an accident. It it could have been prevented easily, right? had we had a different mindset, if we just tilted our heads differently, <laughs> yeah. had a different opinion about the importance of getting somewhere quicker, as opposed to human life or the, the community that you happen to be traversing through. you know, All of these things are just a different way of looking at driving, different way of looking at moving through the city. That, that's basically what Vision Zero is about. Uh, of course, it's more complicated than that, and the accoutrements to get to that point are very complicated. Um, and
0: but, do, you, do you think that LA is a city? Uh, I mean, I feel like since the, in the time that I've lived here, it's definitely like there's been a bit of a shift from car culture to more biking. I mean, you just simply see more people more, walking in various right. neighborhoods and biking than really you ever did before.
2: Absolutely. Um, it, it's gradual yeah like if if I re if we can recall what it was like in the 90s for instance it's dramatic right but uh, that change is gradual and it it's it's actually still changing as we speak there'll be a time when um you know driving a car is like the last thing you would choose right but we're not there yet but yeah. we, we will we, we're going to get there we're uh it's just it's just happening globally. We're we're just kind of the last ones to thinking about yeah. it because we're so indebted to the that yeah. As this city, culture. this yeah. city
0: in particular is yeah. Right. So,
2: um, but all all a lot of the major cities in the world and in the United States have, have changed dramatically. Um, so, uh, it's a matter of time. And and what is that change? It, it isn't just that they change the street or, you know, make it more harder to buy gasoline. I mean, it's, it, there's something else happening, right? Yeah. It's, like a,
1: it's a paradigm shift.
0: You're listening to The People on K-Chung 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons.
1: And I'm Ben White. Uh, remember to go to uh, iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or Overcast or wherever you get your podcasts and find us there and subscribe.
0: Yeah, find and, us.
1: Yeah. And if there's an opportunity
0: to rate or review us, please do both. Definitely rate and uh, review us. It'd be really great. Yeah, it helps, it helps the, us out. helps us out a lot.
1: Uh, so now we're going to get back to our conversation with Alan Nakagawa and David Bell.
0: I get really excited about these. Uh, currently in Los Angeles, and we've had this discussion on the people in different times in different ways, but currently in Los Angeles it seems like there's so many more um, backyard spaces, basement galleries, um, you know, side yard spaces, you know, or visitor welcome center, a gallery that's like, you know, also a visitor welcome center. Um, I mean, how much do you think you're like a part of that kind of interesting, weird community of... Other types of art spaces are you is that something you're specifically interested in
3: i The space I ran previously i mean was um at, at moments was in a backyard and it kind of moved where I moved um, so the space fluctuated in a way like that, and I think that again is why I'm into these like spatial alterations here because then I also moved a lot as a child, like you know like every year or two, so it was kind of like space changing and also kind of really weird spaces like. The one house that we refer to as like the dump house, and like literally was on a landfill and we didn't find out till like 20 years later that we were squatting with my mom, but she would always make it fun. Like, I know there's no door, but like for a while we'll have a curtain and then we'll get a door later. You know, and then you move into this and now she's like lives on this nature preserve and she's like traps mountain lions and like has this like really crazy career. Like you come home and there's like a, a bucket in the yard and then you open it up and there's just like a bear head with bleach poured on it. And then my mom just thought that was perfectly normal, you know, just like. And and so I think those things are what always made like doing once I got into the arts probably like in my early to mid twenties. Just like this, sh- those those spaces just made more sense to me. So um, it's not in any way about like keeping it on any sort of like low level. I think um, I appreciate high and low art in many ways and just so. But I guess somehow keeping it a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, like challenging myself and the artists that I work with just to do something that could potentially fail, you know, maybe. I think it's a question I like to ask artists a lot, like what, what project do you think might not work out as well or you're scared of and maybe we can like talk about that one, you know?
2: I, I, you know, one of the things that I find interesting, and I don't know if you want to talk about this, mm. but um, I mean, you have a space, you know, mm. there are logistical uh, challenges just to have a space. But there's something very special happening on this floor, you know, because it's not just a uh, young space in this space, but like C- Cirillo's there. I mean, there's all these artists here at Lobs downstairs. I mean, I don't think even the 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 regular visitor of the openings realize how much art is in this building mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: totally. yeah.
2: I don't know if you want to talk about that. or. I think we're
1: talking about it right now. Let's yeah. go for
3: it. I, well, I mean, I think just even alone on this, I mean, walking down the hallway and hearing the drums, of the women that are, they, they <laughs> right. dance there every the day. Church. They're in their, like, some of them are in their 90s, right. and, and don't really speak to anybody. They just have their own little kind of pocket over there. But it's kind of amazing, because it's kind of this, like, music going throughout the building. And then alone, the fact that this was an AA for nearly 40 years, so I think even that energy that probably kind of still exists in this room, and the fact that they're still there down the hall and the same, it's been same, some of the same guys who have been there 20, 25 years. So they, I mean, they come into all the shows and they're always like, well, you know, we didn't paint this floor for you know, 20 years and here you are painting it like every six weeks. You know? <laughs> but, um, but it is pretty great. It, is, it seems like, I mean, it's an old kind of dirty building. It's very unassuming from the outside. But inside there is all this like world of things happening.
1: Um. Yeah, and we were before y'all, uh, uh, Alan and Matt came back from feeding the parking meters outside. David and I were kind of goofing on the the Bendix Building, which is a, a, a seven eight story building downtown Los Angeles, where uh, a bunch of art galleries are kind of kind of migrating to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's we were saying it's you know it's kind of weird, but also kind of cool. Like like to have all that stuff in in one place i mean in la because you don't got to drive a bunch of places when there's a bunch of openings but
3: yeah i mean there's obviously things about this but i mean there's, there's parking is horrible and like there's no elevator you know there's some things right. that that are a shame especially because sometimes people come to the opening in a wheelchair or something and they're like is there an elevator and you're just like wow it just feels really bad in this moment yeah but it's also some things that are hard to when when owners and things won't put any more money into the building that's just going to be the way it is at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it seems to be a result of, you know, not a lot of money available to run galleries. And if you, you know, if there's a cheap building and you can kind of uh, join forces like uh, Monavista Vista Projects and Post, uh, both had separate spaces in kind of different parts of L.A. And Tiger Strikes Asteroid. Exactly. As and well. Joan, Joan is going to move in there. Track 16 is on the top floor, so Chateau Chateau. There's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's definitely like a feeling of yeah. like, let's all... You know let's all join forces like it's it's kind of hard to go it on your own and uh, you know possible but kind of same. like here visitor welcome center as we've been talking about it's right near commonwealth and council Uh, sure
3: and i think i mean i i i have an extreme amount of gratitude for that because obviously so many even though i had been running a space before that had its own people that came obviously much more people came immediately when it opened but it also puts a certain amount of pressure. I mean, I, 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 you don't want to be just like the small gallery down the hall and you want to have your own programming and you want to like have your own sort of like foundation. I mean, for me, it's usually talking, figuring out who the artist is I want to work with and being like, what, what would you want to do? And it's like this, 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 this. Okay, so what's your budget? And I'm like zero, okay, let's do all those things. <laughs> you know, and like but trying to figure it out and just like as much as you can, you know, calling in favors, you know, and all that not sleeping, you know, all the
1: things that, yeah. So what are, like, what are the pitfalls of, of, uh, I mean, the the benefits of kind of all getting together in the same location, those are pretty obvious. You know, there's support, you can have openings, everybody can come, it'll be a big crowd regardless. Um, But what are, what do you think the dangers of that would be, or the things you'd have to
0: look out for?
3: Um, You don't
0: got to name names, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll jump in on that. It's something that, that I would worry about with a Bendix building or a building like this is that our uh, collectively as artists and gallerists, are you just increasing the property value here so that eventually the owners will say, "Okay, we'll spend money on the building, but we're going to kick you out first. And I think that is a that is a I mean, that's a large discussion, obviously. But I mean, Bendix building, that would be probably an issue in a certain amount of time, you know, sure, it happens. Sure. We've seen it happen in various places, you know?
3: Yeah. And I mean, I think with this building's interesting, I mean, because we're only one block off of Wilshire, you know, so it's like it's in a a particular place where you wonder what could happen next in this area. And across the street from Southwestern Law, so it's not like some old, janky building across the street in any way. Right. Um, So there's like a lot of money in the area, but then just right down the street, maybe not. Um, Well, I think the, the institution in general wants artists to have like a niche. And then, when an artist finds that niche, then they, you know, you know Stay in your beat lane. it to the ground, beat yeah. it to the ground, like and I own it, I own, you know, feathers. You know? And I think there's something nice with, with Alan's work because each project, there's so many interests. And, so, and, and although I think, like, primarily you consider yourself a sound artist, I think uh, each project is like this whole new thing. And um, one project that's not a part of this show is your Hiroshima project. I'm extremely fascinated with and then and like secretly was like bummed wasn't a part of the show even though it would have been impossible in this space or at least it would have probably dwarfed the space in some way but you can talk about that project because I'm really excited about it well
2: um one reason is it's not really in the show is because I'm still working on it I'm still working Mm -hmm. um, on it and um so the Although this drawing is related to it, right? Uh, the project is called Peace Resonance, um, a semicolon, uh, Hiroshima Wendover, right? Um, so my family's from Hiroshima. Uh, I think I told you that. And uh, so growing up with the, the war, World War II, and their immigration to Los Angeles, and this bomb, you know, has always kind of been there. Um, my family did not, obviously they didn't live inside the, the city, because they're still alive, and, but they, they lived outside of the city. They lived in Hiroshima Prefecture. So it'd be like they, you know, the, uh, the imprint of, of the, the bomb, uh, the, sort of like the first effect, is about the size of downtown Los Angeles. And so if if we looked at it that way, um, they lived in Newport Beach, mm. you know, in Orange County. So pretty far away, right? And they, when it, so whenever I bring it up, it, they're always like, oh, you know, well, that didn't really affect us. And, but if you look at the, uh, the wind patterns, <laughs> you know, the fallout, it might have, it might have. And then mm. there's also the water, of course, in the ocean. Uh, so there are all these issues. But... I think psychologically they, uh, they feel like that's not, that didn't affect them. But then the Hiroshima community um, uh, is huge in Los Angeles. Hmm. There are actually several Japanese American artists who are, whose families are from Hiroshima, for instance. Like Clement Hanami is one, you know, so. Uh, the Hiroshima cultural community, uh, association that's the only as far as i and i've asked people this and i, I believe this is true that's the only um, organization in los angeles specific to a city in um, japan that has its own building you know it's off of first it's a two-story building it's, uh, and the 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 this the, these older uh, folks who immigrated during that time, they still get together there, hmm. right? Um, the friends of the uh, survivors of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bomb, they're, I believe, based in the South Bay. So it's very local, right? I mean, I grew up in this thing. Uh, so there's denial on my family side, and yet our friends are all associated with, <laughs> with these things, you uh-huh. know? So. Uh, as an artist, I always felt like it was a responsibility that I should do something about that. And uh, not being from Japan, you know, born and raised in Los Angeles, I, I also felt like, who am I to say anything about that? You know, I'm, I'm so detached from, from that um, experience. Um, so several years ago, for one reason or another, I was invited to Nancy Holt's memorial at Sun Tunnels, right? And so all the folks from CLUI, Center for Land Use Interpretation, were there. Uh, people like Lucy Lepard and um, uh, Hikmet Lowe, you know, these, these friends. I, I never met Nancy Holt, but for, for some reason I was invited. I still don't quite understand why I was invited, but uh, I, it was an honor to be there. So the night before the memorial, we're at CLUI's um, artist residency and we're having a barbecue, and I'm I'm out there with uh, with Matt Matthew Coolidge, and over the fence is an airstrip, and what was and then at the end of the airstrip is was this rusted Quonset, huge right, and I said Matt that is I love that building that's so cool and he looks at me and goes oh you actually you know don't don't you know that's the window of our hangar, and I said oh what's that and he goes. Well, that's where the Anola Gay flew out uh, to go to uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and I go, what? <laughs> yeah, and no I looked deal. at it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> by the way, uh, and I like told so Matt, did I did I ever mention that my family's from Hiroshima? And he was like, dude, you have to do a project here. And um, it took several years for that to kind of seep in, um, but I I literally had this moment when I was at um, the. Uh, McDowell Art Colony. Uh, I was there for six weeks. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Six weeks, and that experience was like a drano for me. It just, it just, you know, all this crap that was in my brain that wouldn't come out came out, and I. That's where I got the idea for peace residence. So the problem was uh, I was always focusing on death, right? Because of the bomb. Yeah. But really, what I, what I am about is a resilience, because I'm, I'm alive, and my family came, you know, and started this new life in the United States. So that's really what I want to talk about. So the piece is, uh, we got permission through uh, the good folks at, in the Mayor Garcetti's office. They wrote a letter to Mayor Matsui of Hiroshima, and asked for permission for me to go in and do a three-point recording inside the Atomic Dome, which uh, as you probably know is a a UNESCO heritage site. And so really nobody's allowed to go inside, it's like kind of off limits. Mm. And so we went in, uh, myself and one of their staff, and then my friend Tom Clancy uh, videotaped it. And then uh, we came back and I processed that into a three-speaker performative piece with uh, some oscillators and tone generators. And uh, then we got, uh, Chloe helped me get permission to go inside the Wendover Hangar, uh, which is uh, now a national historic uh, site, and uh, set up these three speakers and privately did this performative piece that was then video documented. So uh, on April 4th, we're gonna present the whole shebang at Human Resources in Chinatown. Um, So it's really, to me, uh, conceptually at least, it's the spirit of the Enola Gay making a round trip back to Wendover 70 plus years after dropping the bombs. And uh, the hope is uh, that we'll be able to perform this uh, someday in front of the Enola Gay, uh, which is in a hangar uh, in Washington D.C. Hmm. near the airport. One
1: of the airports. Well, Alan, David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thanks thanks for having us. You've been listening to The People in K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White.
0: And I'm Matthew Timmons. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, everywhere you find podcasts.
1: Yeah, and if you're there, uh, please leave us a rating and review if that's applicable to any of those things. That'd be really great. It helps us out a lot.
0: Absolutely. And we're gonna go out with a song by Joel Kayak, aka Holly Body, off his brand new uh, album, Chill Police EP. And the name of the song is Small Things.